I'm Lieutenant Pat Doring, Crisis Negotiator from TwoGuysTalkingStarWars.com, and you're listening to another terrifying episode of Two Guys Talking Horror on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Have you ever had the feeling of being watched? Hidden eyes following you? A cold chill crawling up your spine? The hairs on the back of your neck standing straight up? Do you know what that is? It's fear. It's fear. Fear is the most basic human emotion tied into our instinct to survive. Fear gives us the means to overcome great odds or cripple us with paralyzing dread. Dread. But fear can also entertain. Turn off all the lights, lock your closet door, and ignore the sounds from beneath your bed. It's time for Two Guys Talking Horror. Stephen King has long been labeled the modern-day master of the macabre, even though not all of his novels and short stories are considered horror. But because the majority of his body of work does exist in the realm of nightmare-fueled, scream-inducing terror, they are ripe for adaptation. Over the decades, King's work has appeared on both the big and small screens, During the 90s and the early 2000s, it wasn't uncommon to see a new TV miniseries based off of a King book every year or so. One would think that breaking up a massive story over two, three, or even sometimes four nights would give a filmmaker the chance to adapt King's work more faithfully, right? The horror and gore had to be watered down for the television viewing public. But that's a small price to pay for getting the story transferred, isn't it? Wrong. You can't do justice to any written work if you have to censor the tone to make it work for a new medium. Cut the parts out that won't transfer well to film? Understandable. Change things around so the flow of the film is more fast-paced than the book? If you have to. But when you boil it down... The point of Stephen King's work is to make you as uncomfortable as possible while peeling back the layers of real-life horrors. Tricking people, King hides those horrors behind the masks of a possessed car, or a rabid dog, or a haunted hotel, or a child-eating, shape-shifting clown. 2017 brought moviegoers what some fans and critics are calling the best interpretation of King's work ever. The film was a juggernaut at the box office and has since been made available on DVD, Blu-ray, and video on demand. But after all the hype, does it still hold up? It's time to cut the crap as Two Guys Talking Horror reviews the 2017 theatrical release of It.
Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls. I am Nicholas J. Hearn, your host. Across the table from me today, I've got Mike Wilkerson. I am terrified from your instructional, informative first end review of this movie, Nick. Good. I'm I glad. don't know what to do. I love having somebody who's not necessarily comfortable in the horror genre. <laughs> you picked the guy, dude. I, I did. I did. I am it. Mm. <laughs> like that? Boom, chew. But enough with the comedy. Let's get to some housekeeping. The editor core. Believe it or not, they actually let me edit things here. (laughs) (laughs) You laugh. Personally speaking, I didn't think that I had any kind of real talent for it. And uh, come to find out, I'm pretty darn good at it. It's all because of the editor core. What we have going on here is this is a, a group of skilled, dedicated professionals who can edit your show whether you have your own podcast or you want to be editing more podcasts the editor core is exactly what you're looking for Mm. Uh, the the biggest question every podcaster ever should be asking themselves is why are you still editing your own podcast there are people that can do it faster than you can and Mm. it is not terribly expensive there's every benefit to get it off your plate And no benefit to keep it on your plate, except maybe you're a control freak. Um, Once you get past the control freak part and realize how much more content you can conjure Mm. and create when someone else is taking on the responsibility of editing it, Mm -hmm. it's amazing how liberating that is inside of your cone of creating the content, which is typically where everybody's going to get paid more money. If you have more stuff to showcase to somebody, you're going to get paid faster Mm -hmm. than if you sit and be control freak on all of your own stuff. And that's why Nick and I always push everybody over to EditorCore.com. Go there, fill out the quick contact form, and tell us about one of two things. What program do you need edited? You can even submit it there electronically from anywhere on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. Or you can tell us about how you would like to be an editor inside the Editor Core. You can do all that. Again, EditorCore.com. FreeFieldTrainingPodcast.com Now, what I enjoy is the fact that every now and then we get a new show on the network, and I just love showing off new talent. Officer Tommy Model Mm -hmm. has already got a great fan base Mm -hmm. over on YouTube. Yeah, 63,000 people as of this morning. Of this morning, damn. His hockey stick growth is not legendary hockey stick. It is the hockey stick. Right. It's where when I met him, it was about half that, and that was about a year ago. Yeah. And so his his success is meteoric, and it is climbing amazingly. This new hybrid podcast that we're building with FreefieldTrainingPodcast.com, where we take in his content from YouTube, yes, but then we also conjure some original content that is that audio mm-hmm. only, and then blend the two streams into one. It really is something special, and I, I think the, the best part of it is Tommy himself. There is... No one that has the gift of gab as good as I do. Mm. I love to talk about all kinds of things, as you well know. Yes. But the way that Tommy talks about stuff is what I dream of being able to talk about. Firearms, different protocols inside of security, different ways that police officers do things during their everyday stuff. Mm -hmm. And Tommy is a field trainer for police officers. He teaches the new guys. And so he's harnessed all of that gab ability He's harnessed all the knowledge that he has and the culmination of being a cop for more than 10 years. Mm. He's harnessed all of that. And that is what's going to be going in 
to freefieldtrainingpodcast.com. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Freefieldtrainingpodcast.com. <laughs> what is a cut the crap movie review? A cut the crap movie review is our way at Two Guys Talking Horror to give an honest, mostly constructive, quickish review of films, both old and new. We stick to a simple three-pronged attack when it comes to deciding if a film is good or not. Story, acting, and execution. Each of these three things will get a star rating. If it's good, full star. If it's just okay, half a star. If it sucks, no star for you. If you stick to those three things, it's real easy to decide whether or not you want to spend your time and your money because mm -hmm. time is money, mm -hmm. to watch a movie. Yeah. At the end of the review, we add up the ratings to see what out of the three stars it got. So that's what a Cut the Crap movie review is. Spoiler warning! Yes, this is a review of the 2017 film It. But it's nearly impossible to talk about this film without talking about the 1986 book or the 1990 TV miniseries. Here's an added reviewer warning. It is going to be difficult not to compare this new adaptation to the book, but I promise to do my best. I'm a fan of the source material, but I will treat this film as a separate entity. Here's hoping. The book. Now, Mike, 1986. Yes. What a great year. Definitely a great year. Stephen King in 1986 was still, believe it or not, the epic author that everybody wanted to go and read. Mm -hmm. And probably the author, everybody said, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've read that book yeah. five, six times. Not really. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really, especially me. For, for those that are curious, this podcast is actually inspired on a concept, and not this podcast, but this concept, mm -hmm. the, the whole this versus that. Right. That's based on a concept because I did not like reading in high school, like, at all. I would do anything to not go read a book, including and not limited to going to my world lit teacher and telling her that I will draw detailed cartoon posters of every single project. Just... Give me the listing of projects. I'll start now, and I'll have them all done on, on the time that needs right. to be done. And she said, yes, that's going to be fine, but you still got to read some of the book. <laughs> I'm like, okay, deal. I will read some of the book as long as we can do the poster. So, so deal. So what, if, you're, if you're telling me that if grade school Mike existed now, he'd want to list, listen to a this podcast. Notes podcast or this. Yes. Something like this. Yeah. In a previous iteration, we had a program called the versus machine. The versus machine is specifically based on a concept that I made mm -hmm. that I would have listened to instantly inside of any, any giant thick novel opportunity. I had to listen to that podcast because it's the book versus the movie. Mm. I.e. if you only watch the movie, you need to know these things so that you can go back to school Get your get your decent grade without getting screwed by watching the movie. It's interesting that you bring up the versus machine because two guys talking horror plans on resurrecting <laughs> the versus machine. Yeah, yeah. Now, me personally, I did not get to read the book when it came out. Mm -hmm. The miniseries was my first exposure, 
So I got to see that as a very young teenager. The book I got to experience when I was uh, older, uh, probably 18 or 19. Okay. Seeing the miniseries first influenced my view of the book, and the book the book is huge. Mm-hmm. Do you know the page count just offhand? I mean, this is this 1, one you could murder people with? Yeah. Okay. Offhand, it's over a thousand pages. That's just, just over massive. A thousand pages. Yeah, massive. Yes. So, unfortunately, I missed out on reading any Stephen King back in 1986. I was only seven years old at Mm -hmm. the time. I was enjoying the films based off of his movies Mm -hmm. at that time. But there was no way my mother was going to let me even attempt to read anything at that age. Yeah. The 1990 miniseries. Even if you're not a horror fan... Almost everybody on the planet knows something about the 1990 It miniseries. Uh-huh. Most specifically, Tim Curry's <laughs> portrayal Correct. as Pennywise. That's right, because Tim Curry was also, in a variety of other things, Oh yes, he was also the doctor inside of Hunt for Red October, which mm-hmm. happened inside of the same calendar year. This was instant on the radar for me, mostly because of that, but then also, of course, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Which was a staple wheelhouse stuff for when I was a kid in those years. Mm -hmm. That entire 80s run of 1984 to 1988, those are my high school years. And in particular, the last two were the ones where, what the hell are we doing out at 2.30 in the morning? And the answer (laughs) is, we just got done with Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ironically, I was introduced to both the Rocky Horror Picture Show and It around the same time. Interesting. I knew Tim Curry from two films prior to that, though. Yeah. Clue, mm-hmm. he was Wadsworth, oh, yep, the yep. butler, mm-hmm. and the film Legend, yeah. where he played Darkness. Darkness, right. And I mean, unless you really know Tim Curry's voice and his mannerisms, you can't tell that that's him right. underneath all that makeup. Right. As well as the voice alteration that's done there, too. Yeah. Again, you or I that sits and listens to audio podcasts and edits them for a living, we can go, <laughs> oh, look, it's Tim Curry underneath right. some voice stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's it's indiscernible. He's, he absolutely transforms. Now, that, that film, since I saw it before reading the book, I had no idea that there was so much left out mm-hmm. from the book in that miniseries. As a matter of fact, a lot was left out from the miniseries. And understandably, I mean, again, it's over a thousand pages mm-hmm. long. I w- originally did not get to see this when it first aired in November of 1990. I was, uh, let's just say I was a bit of a troublemaker <laughs> as a, a younger person. And I had been grounded from the television. And I had secretly watched a section of the film. So I, I got a sense of Tim Curry as the clown. And Back then, in my younger years, I wasn't really separating the actor from the part. So all I'm seeing is this very charismatic yet very creepy entity wanting me to float with him. I didn't actually get to see the film until two years later when they reran it on television. Wow. Even though it does not hold up to today's standards, the, the effects, the majority of the effects are quite dated. But again, wow. It, it, it is a who's who of acting talent of the time. Mm-hmm. And seriously, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not watched the miniseries, sure, it's going to take you a little. It's, it, it, it's long. It's a two-part miniseries, so you're looking at sitting around for about three and a half hours. 
But you know what? It's nostalgic. Mm-hmm. It's there is it is a piece of time. It's a piece of history caught in a bottle there for you to watch. And well, and the shining beacon being Tim Curry. I yes, mean, the, we can wax philosophical. All we want. Yes, it was it. Yes, it was written by Stephen King. But you take Tim Curry out of the movie, and you've got nothing. Right. As a matter of fact, I dressed for the occasion because I'm actually wearing my Pennywise, my <laughs> Tim Curry, Pennywise the clown. We, we've also got pictures shirt. over at the uh, the two guys talking Twitter feed over at, at two guys talking. <laughs> the new film. Now I know, Mike, you have not watched this. That's the whole reason why I actually have you here. Correct. I'm not going to attempt to try to sway you one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spout out my opinions, mm-hmm. and you can make the decision on whether or not you want to see the movie, because you know the source material. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to spoil anything about how it ends, because guess what? They don't change the ending. But there is significant change, and I'm definitely going to be talking about that during this Cut the Crap movie review. My first impressions of the film, guess what? Didn't see it in the theater. I was one of the (laughs) handful of people obsessed with horror movies that did not go and see this movie in the theater. I wanted to. I just never had the opportunity. And I kept pushing it off and pushing it off. And I kept on hearing all these great things. I was either hearing how this is the the greatest horror movie of our generation or "Eh, it's just okay. Those are very drastic views. I mean, just okay. Uh, you know, Exorcist 3 is just okay, but when people are saying that this this set the bar for horror from now on, that's a high bar to set. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of glad that I actually waited until it was available. Mm-hmm. The day that it came out on Blu-ray, I was, I was, well, actually, the day that it came out on Blu-ray, personal story, my wife isn't necessarily afraid of clowns. She's afraid of Tim Curry dressed mm-hmm. as a clown. Sure. I actually have a uh, a miniature figure of Pennywise from the original 90s miniseries sitting on my movie shelf. And she hates even walking by it. And me being the uh, prankster that I am, every now and then I'll hide that little figure like in a coffee cup in the morning so that when she's grabbing a cup out of the cupboard and she's about to pour the coffee in, and there's there's Pennywise. Hello. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. Nick. Yeah, Great. it is. Where to foster your marriage. That's that's excellent. <laughs> so the day- you're going to find a melted down piece of pewter is what you're going to find. I, I know. I had to stop because she actually did threaten. <laughs> for, threaten that one of these days you're not going to find him. I, I, and he is kind of hard to find now. I'll bet. So I don't want no to. No thanks to your wife who probably is on the hunt to destroy them. Right. The day that the film came out on Blu-ray, I snuck it onto the shopping list. My wife went out. Snuck she, it. I, I did. It. She was. She was getting. She was going to get the it carrots, <laughs> but she chose to get the it movie. Okay. I have it. to. I have to give her credit. I wasn't expecting her to actually get it. I put it on there kind of as a joke. <laughs> I awesome. figured there's no way in the world she's going to awesome. pick this up for me. Yep, yep. I'll go and get it myself later on. No big deal. But yep. I'm going to write it here. Yeah. And the testament of my marriage is that she bought the movie that, for me. That is excellent. She gave me a dirty look. When I pulled it out of the bag. It's your damn movie. Yeah, can't believe you did that to me. Snuck it on the list, didn't you? And I'm like, I was actually surprised you bought it for me. Well, it shows you how much I love you now, doesn't it? This is a horrible interpretation of my wife. Please don't, <laughs> yeah. uh, much less bearded, I would imagine, in the delivery. <laughs> yes, very, right. much, okay. very much less bearded. Okay. 
So I've actually watched this film three times. Yeah. I, over It was uh, over about a three-week period. I okay. watched it once a week. All right. I needed to absorb it. Sure. Because the movie is long. They they actually, it, it's it, just at uh, two hours and 14 it, minutes. It's funny that you mention absorbing as well, because I think it's one of the things that was not represented inside of... The, the, the concept of what happens with Pennywise, mm. I only understand more because I've read just brief excerpts of reviews of this movie. Yeah. And what was not captured inside of that miniseries was that he is a sponge that absorbs the fear, a fear collector. Yes. In fact, it is an interesting title that represents mystery, but fear collector would have been a much more apt concept for a title it would have been incredibly deliberate and Very removed yes. the what is it? I got to go see this or I got to read this book, but something way more interesting that is lost inside of that miniseries. Yeah, the and it's mini- because you're horrified by Tim Curry. Tim Curry's horrification of audience members yeah. is what absolutely shines in that. And the, the, the cunningness of what you see from John Ritter and Harry Anderson. That also comes through, yes, mm. but what is completely absent is that fear collector moment, i.e., hey, and oh my God, I'm scared, and that that right. is missing. That is missing. They definitely shoved it into this movie. They show that off as much as possible. The only problem is it's not long enough. Yeah, can't he, run through them he all. Always, he always reverts back into the clown. Unlike how it is in the book. In the book, he's very rarely the clown. Interesting. That's got to be a marketing move. I mean, how do you sell this movie? And the answer is the clown. Well, yeah. Well, the clown clown sells. The clown definitely sells. The thing that I noticed after absorbing the film after three viewings, Mm -hmm. before even making my notes for this review, was... Even though, yes, this is it is an enjoyable film. There are scary parts to it. It does fall into the Hollywood crank it out system, where you have to have a scare every few minutes. This movie does take the time to do a little bit of character development, but it almost seemed like the movie was a collection of Pennywise scares with exposition just shoved in between to get you through the first half of the movie. And personally, that's not what I want to see. (laughs) The writing. I take the writing very seriously, especially when they take a script and they use the source material to make said script. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ah, but guess what? We're updating things. Why? Because it's cool to do that. So unlike the book, which takes place in the early 60s, or at least the flashback stuff with the kids Mm -hmm. takes place in the early 60s, and then the stuff with the adults takes place in the late 80s, guess where we are, Mike? We're in the late 80s. We are in the time of Batman and Lethal Weapon 2 playing at the local theater. My thing is is that if you're going to do an 80s film, don't half-ass it. If you're setting it in the 80s, go all in. Uh, This film peppers the 80s in with movie posters on bedroom walls, movies that are playing at the local cinema, and specifically musical references. Uh, New Kids on the Block, 
Yes, I'm spoiling it for everybody. Nuclids on the Block is evidently a running joke in this movie. Well, look, Nick, I, this is going to be a great movie review because I know you've got the right stuff. <laughs> Baby. <laughs> but the thing is, though, is that this if this takes place in the 80s, where are the things that were scaring children in the 80s? One of the reasons why Stephen King wrote the book is because at the time he didn't he didn't even see himself as a horror writer. But everybody else did. He says, oh, you want me to be a horror writer? I'll write a horror book. And he wrote it. Because this way, he creates a character that can turn into anything that scares kids. Said it in the 60s, you've got Dracula. You've got the Wolfman. You've got Godzilla, Rodan. You've got all those great movie monsters that the kids of that time period would be afraid of. Well, what was popular during the 80s, Mike? Uh, Freddy Krueger. Thank Jason. you. Jason. Jason Voorhees. Uh, Leatherface. Michael Myers. They, they all had movie franchises going that kids, especially kids of the age of the characters in this movie, would be watching. Do we have any of that mentioned? Not at all. Nobody is afraid of any stuff like that whatsoever. And I understand why they wouldn't go that route because, oh, okay, well, look, there's Freddy Krueger. Well, I'm no longer afraid. The point that I'm trying to make is if you are going to set something in the 80s, I think you should at least acknowledge the 80s full on and not just touch upon it and make fun of it like with new kids on the block jokes. I, I would agree with you. Unfortunately, I would jump into the unfortunate law area and go, okay, so what is it going to cost to get Freddie on screen? What's it going to cost to get Michael Myers on screen? And I'm What's not even asking get... for that, but I'm asking for Do you maybe want just something... a dark figure with finger knives? There you go. I don't know that you can do that. And the reason that I don't think you can do that is because of the closeness trademark wise of it. Even if you had a dark dude with a what looks like an apron and then suddenly he jerks his arm back violently and you hear, wee! I think that that connotation inside of what happens here would be motion for a lawsuit, especially because it is a major, major motion picture. Eh. Fair? Not fair? Possibly. Yeah. Bottom line is, I don't think that there was a checkbook big enough for what was going on inside of it for it, for it to pay off. And if that is the case, then don't set it in the 80s. Don't have your kid stuff set in the 80s so that you can have your adult stuff set in 2019 when the second movie is going to come out stick to the source material and have your kids in the early 60s and then if you want to do your 80s movie well guess what there you go 80s movie with the adults then you can put all of your little new kids on the block jokes and things like that the fact that we have changed the time period for the children's stuff has opened up the unexpected for what this next chapter is going to be, the second movie is going to be, because now it's going to be modern day with modern conveniences and modern technology and things like that. I'm going to be very interested to see how the filmmakers, especially the writers, find a way to make it, the shape-shifting monster, scary with the modern conveniences. Is, is, is he going to turn into a member of the Taliban? Is he going to turn into Donald Trump? I mean, it, well, it, is I mean, he going to pull, turn into a bill collector? Because that's what adults are afraid of. In general, I would agree with you. But because we cannot grab any of the Hallmark stuff and they do want to switch to the 80s, you've got to switch to something that can be identified 
OCD is something huge. It was back then. I think people just didn't know what to call it and or tell people about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's that piece. Well, obviously, this isn't the detailed review where we're going to go through each of the horrors, but obviously somewhere inside of the creative staff slash group of writers, they came up with a series of fears that they thought would be reasonable in the 80s for children their ages. I can't imagine that any of those was not based on something either real or something that somebody heard about mm. that was legitimate. So while you or I may not be afraid of something that's inside of there, well, let's face it, the world is such that there are many people that are afraid of many different things that don't bother you and I in the least, but are very differently colored when you have their glasses on. Right. But my horrification of stairs... darkened stairs in particular is something that I have been able to overcome, but only recently, like in the last 10 years and I'm 47 years old, dude. So I I mean, you look at me and you go, okay, so what is Wilkerson scared of? Okay. Well, ascending dark stairs, that's fucking weird, but it is something that I would totally see inside of what we're talking about. But it's not weird because it's not necessarily the stairs. It's the fact that you're descending stairs into darkness. No, I'm ascending. Ascending. There's some, there's always something behind me. That's, that's, well, there's always something behind you no matter what. Right. So going up the stairs, you're afraid of what's behind you in the dark. Yes. It's stairs regardless. So stairs. So it's not, you're afraid of what's behind you in the dark. If you're walking down the street, it's just stairs. I don't get that anymore. (laughs) Ah, Maybe after tonight you will get it again. <laughs> yeah. no, anyway, I'm sorry to derail, but no, 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 it's, no, it's fine. Right. Uh, the thing is, though, is, is I do have to give the writers credit that they did at least give me rounded characters. The majority of the characters, especially the Losers Club, mm-hmm. to me did feel flushed out. The ones that they used, of course, you know, there's seven of them. Only five of them ever got any real character development. The Stan, the Jewish character, again, just kind of uh, your token coward. Right, yeah. And uh, Mike, the African-American character, who extremely important in both the original book and the miniseries. You know, he shows up at the beginning of the movie and then, eh, you know, you have to wait another hour before he shows back up again, Mm -hmm. before he's important again. Right, right, right. A little irritated about that there should have been a way to showcase all of the characters of the losers club because those are the seven most important characters next to pennywise in this story everybody else is basically two-dimensional and that kind of that works okay for some characters but your villains not counting pennywise you know the bullies henry bowers and his gang of bullies two-dimensional characters that don't even get that hell don't even really get flushed out until the third act of the movie. And then by then, uh, we're not really paying attention to character development. It's the third act. Mm-hmm. We're, we're getting closer to our crescendo and then the wrap-up. Where the writing is concerned for this film, mm-hmm. I, I'd love to be able to give it a full star, but yeah. it, no, it, it's it's only half a star. Mm. They only did half a job here mm. where I'm concerned. Mm. The acting. We've watched a lot of movies. We've watched a lot of television. Tons. I know for a fact we can both agree on this. It is hard to find talented child actors. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they did it, but even the ones that are, are barely utilized in this film, these kids these kids know how to act. That's awesome. I, I, I just... never stopped believing that these kids were experiencing 
these fears. Yeah. I just went back and watched, uh, in fact, I, I'm certain that it's not new. It has to be something that came out as a feature somewhere in a DVD probably. But I just went back and watched Revenge of the Nerds behind the scenes. Oh, wow. And, you know. It's my second favorite John Goodman movie. Yeah. When you look at that movie now, you can see that obviously, especially now, if we actually were to go and see the actors now, Mm -hmm. you would see that they've aged incredibly since then. I I totally understand that. And whenever this was done, they had aged for sure. Mm -hmm. But what I think a lot of people forget is that those actors were not young actors. They were squeegeed (laughs) into the ability to play what were first and second year college students when in reality they were 34, 35 years old. And when you do things like that, it's very, very interesting, but it skews completely what you think, say, a a 22-year-old person is supposed to look like. Oh, right. One of my other favorites to go back and look on and you go... How was this guy supposed to be? You look at Better Off Dead. Oh, God. Better Off Dead's another one where, hey, look at the all almost 30-year-old cast (laughs) trying to pull off the third and fourth year of high school. Right. So that absolutely happens in movies and that they're able to gravitate towards this level of actor inside of people that are so young really is something special. Uh, Something I will give Stranger Things, which, by the way, this had to be a, quote, love letter to that. That's why they went 80s, is because they can go in there and suckle off the teat of the I'm, 80s. I'm pretty, well, I, you actually have one of the stars from Stranger Things as one of the kids. Oh, really? In this film, yes. Oh, well, okay. Well, there's one of the checkboxes of getting decent acting. Mm-hmm. My guess is that there is a core of people that get selected for grabbing talent or sourcing talent inside of wherever the hell they find these kids. Right. And what they've done is they've found a gold vein. Mm-hmm. They, they have found a, a series of people that can go and collect the people, ironically, that have the factor that they need to grab. In the case of it, it's fear. In the case of going to casting directors, it's the thing. It's the gold of the actor that can be somehow gleaned from what the director wants. And I love that they're able to find that, and that it happens so frequently. I think television is another uh, wonderful platform where you see lots of really good child actors yeah it's just a matter of them finding projects outside of their scope that they find in the jackass kids role inside of television to then ascend to have that long career inside of feature films and i think i think we've we've uh steered away from the oh okay well we need the cute kid so that right. when you're no longer cute well we don't need you anymore right it's no longer about the talent it's how you look these kids have talent and i'm actually very interested to see where they go Five years from now, ten years from now. Yeah, me too. Because it seems like me every too. every generation we get a group of child actors who either make it or break it. And some of them go on to have careers as adults and some of them fade off into obscurity. And I'm very interested to see where these kids go. The, th- the other thing, though, is that I cannot ignore the performance of Bill Skarsgård. I, I can't. As much as I love Tim Curry's interpretation of Pennywise the Clown from the 90s miniseries, Bill Skarsgård does something that is that makes the character more sinister. Whereas Tim Curry's was playful. I mean, he was a, he was a clown. And I think that's the big debate. There have been a lot of fans, a lot of hardcore fans of the original miniseries will say, well, no, Tim Curry's the definitive it. I would like to compare it to Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger, 
where the character of the Joker is concerned. Mm -hmm. Two awesome actors playing an awesome character and doing it their way. Jack Nicholson played the Joker more Cesar Romero from the old TV show with a little bit of the comic book slapstick in it. And very dangerous, though. You know, adult. Whereas Heath Ledger, he was an agent of chaos. And there was a psychosis there. There was there was something dangerous under both on top and under the surface. And you didn't know what you were dealing with at any point in time. Yeah. Not not so strangely in instances like that, I always go to food. Mm, and the, okay. one of the, my favorite samples is everybody on planet Earth has at one time or another tried vanilla ice cream. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a difference between vanilla ice cream and, say, vanilla ice cream that's called vanilla bean ice cream. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean it's exactly the same thing, but there is definitively different flavor, especially if you go across different makers of ice cream, mm -hmm. because they all have their own recipe to make, insert vanilla ice cream. Yeah. And I would consider... This, one of those special things, too. The other thing I want to make sure that we also get in here is that after having Tim Curry as Pennywise inside of it, inside of the miniseries, which is the only one I've seen except for very scant, every now and then commercials that I'll glance across mm. for this newest it, I have to be amazed that not only can the new Pennywise get something different, but not just be another offshoot of Tim Curry as Pennywise. Right. That's something special. And what I, I'm absolutely certain we're going to have to give it to, and again, though I haven't seen it, you have to give it to a lot of the special effects artists that are going on inside of the newest feature film. Because in addition to being able to literally change the paint color canvas inside of digital filmmaking now, mm -hmm. along with any of the special effects where it's just a, you know, a stretching of the maw that makes sense for this Pennywise or whatever happens that happens inside of here. It's a completely different level of special effects that are equaled inside of this one compared to Tim Curry's. Right. No, totally agree. Where the rest of the acting is concerned, there, there are a handful of characters on the peripheral, uh, mostly adults. And even though they're not very well developed, they don't need to be. Right. They serve right. their purpose, though, and I, I can't really complain about any of them. Where the acting is concerned for this film, I'm going to give it a full star. <laughs> the overall production. It's a beautiful movie. The creepy parts are incredibly creepy. Mm -hmm. Unlike the miniseries, which basically had your generic, oh, this is what we think a sewer tunnel looks like. This movie takes us into the sewers underneath Derry on a handful of occasions throughout this movie. And you feel like you're underground in a sewer tunnel surrounded by filth. And you don't know what's behind the next corner. You don't know if it's going to be a rat or if it's going to be a giant man-eating clown. I love the creepiness when it's creepy. We talked a little bit about it in the previous point. The special effects. Some of the special effects are absolutely amazing. There is no disbelief pill that I have to take to believe the majority of these special effects. When Pennywise transforms into other things, or I should say, when these other things transform back into Pennywise, and then sometimes vice versa, it is sometimes flawless. Sometimes. 
The problem is, is that there are quite a few scenes in this movie that seem like maybe they ran out of money. And some of the effects are actually just really blatantly obvious effects. You can tell that that is a green screen effect. It was almost like they didn't even want to try to fight it. One of the biggest examples of that is the apocalyptic rock fight. Now, I call it the apocalyptic rock fight is because that's what it's called in the book. Very important part of the book. It's where the Losers Club and Henry Bowers and his crew, they have this giant rock fight in the quarry. It's a little bit different this time. Yes, it's a Losers Club. And yes, it's Henry Bowers and his bullies. But now they're having this fight at the creek and they're about 15 feet away from each other. And they're chucking rocks at each other. Some of these characters are getting hit in the head with rocks. And the effects look ridiculous. Because, well, A, nobody's bleeding from getting hit by the rock. Uh, uh, Two, nobody's swelling. Maybe it didn't break the skin, but there is an abrasion. You you get hit by a rock, you're going to have evidence that you were hit by a rock. Especially when you're getting hit in the rock in the forehead. But the biggest problem is, is that this scene is cut s- with slow-mo portions that are then backdropped on blatant green screen effects where the character is, it, it almost seemed like they were trying to do a 3D film in this section when I know that this wasn't a 3D film. And it just takes you completely out of the movie. Also, and it is the 80s, so so the soundtrack for this apocalyptic rock fight is 80s hair metal. I'm fine with that. But when you go from slow-mo to real-mo, back to slow-mo, and you're mixing it in with really bad CGI, ah, come on. We, this is Hollywood. This is, the, this is supposed to be the best horror film ever created, known to man. And, and this is, this is the, the production value that you're giving me? I'm very forgiving. As you know, we've reviewed a lot of things here at two guys talking but when you this just stops the brakes for me just immediately pumps and there's a couple of scenes in this movie that are like that it's not just this one scene if it was just this one scene i said well you know it had one misstep and no big deal there are others so and and again it may just be me nitpicking but the overall production of the film seemed shaky a little a little lopsided for me so I can only give the overall production half a star. I don't believe the hype. I'm actually kind of glad I did not rush out to see this in the theater. Uh, One thing I can say, there were only one or two parts of this movie that actually really scared me, made me jump. Mm -hmm. Other than that, it was just a very interesting movie with some creepy shit in it. I think, though, by watching the movie three times it almost kind of feels like there were other scenes that are missing in this movie. It feels to me like if this movie might have been maybe another 45 minutes longer and had those missing scenes put back in, everything would have made sense, and it wouldn't have felt so disjointed and lopsided. But again, that would have been a three-hour movie, and there's not a lot of people that want to go and see a three-hour horror movie. Sure, they'll do it for Peter Jackson if he's got a frickin' hobbit jumping around somewhere, but for a for a horror movie, three well, I mean, two hours and fourteen minutes is kind of pushing it. Me personally, if the story is engaging, screw the time limit. Well, it, if I mean, you're telling a good story, 
I'll sit through the three hours. Just keep telling me a good story. Isn't that the peril of a property like this, though, that comes from a thousand-page book, is that there's never going to be the platform enough to foster what's going on, except ah, there maybe would. if it was on a Netflix-style Exactly. That's right. my thing. Sure. If this, if, if it would have been adapted into a miniseries, and when I say miniseries, a, take this first half and chop it up into 10 episodes, right. and then the other half into 10 one-hour episodes, you could get the book. You could do everything in that book justice. You could. But instead, you want to get, I, I guess it was, let's try to get the biggest well, money grab as we possibly can, put it in the theater. Well, it's also the properties that are involved because, uh, and, and again, it's it's a dance enough that I don't know all of the pieces, parts that would go into the dance. Mm-hmm. But it's the dance of who owns the property of it. Right. Who owns the property of the things we're going to mention? Who owns the property and licensing process to get it onto something like Netflix or Hulu or wherever it's going to appear? Mm. All of those things have an answer. I don't know what they are. Right. But they obviously right. weren't enough for someone to care. Otherwise, they would have tried doing that. Uh, they, they've actually attempted that with uh, on Hulu. There was they did it's a excellent. miniseries. It's excellent. You've, you, so you've seen yeah. eleven twenty two six twenty two sixty. I could I could uh, I should I should know that date, but mm-hmm. I uh, but I always have trouble with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a it's, huge James Franco fan, but I, I heard that he was excellent in that. I, in that I hate James Franco, and, and I you enjoyed it. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I am I am a definitive. Well, then I will definitely I, I will definitely yeah. check it out. Then yeah. I am a definitive. I don't like James Franco. Ite. But it's definitely worth your time, mostly because of the steering around of what happens inside mm. of historical data that they're able to play with, especially that it's only eight episodes, I think. It's not it's not anything difficult to imbibe in. Well, it's, it's not just... a thousand-page book, either. <clears throat> no, it's so not. So you can do it in, in, in a handful of episodes mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that if Hollywood or whoever would start looking at the – the, the fact that there aren't as many restrictions mm-hmm. as there were in the 90s. I understand why the 90s miniseries was watered down so much. Mm-hmm. You can't show that right. to American families on ABC on a Sunday and a Tuesday night at 7 p.m. No, you can't. I get it. You can't do that. But mm-hmm. guess what? Times, they, they're not a-changing. They've changed. Mm-hmm. You have all these different outlets now that you can do more sophisticated and updated material and you don't have to worry about scarring the psyche of america's youth Mm -hmm. with that being said i'm interested in the next chapter i'm very interested to see where this goes because with so many changes that they they made in this film compared to the book i have no idea where the adult stuff is going to go i am i'm baffled really so I'm eager to see where they go from here. Well, and see, I think that's the other reason why they made it like this because mm. they want you to be baffled and they want you to come back to the to the table. Well, they, they they've got, they got me you. interested. Sure. They've they've they, got me hooked. If they've got you and you're the guy that waited months to see it, not even in the theater, and they've got you, well, they're going to get the people that came to see the the first one at the theater to come back anyway. Yeah, yeah. So what do they care? They're definitely going to bank. My thing is though is that I don't believe the hype. I don't think this was. The greatest horror movie ever made. It, it, it's not. I don't even think it was the greatest horror movie to come out of 2017. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's good. Again, I watched it three times. But if you take all of my scores, this is only a two-star out of three-star movie. Mm-hmm. That's what I think, folks. But I'm more interested in what you think. 
go over to our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Hit that contact tab at the top of the screen, fill out the web form, and let us know what your thoughts are on the 2017 It. Or hit the green tab on the right of the screen and send us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. And that being said, we have cut the crap for long enough. We're going to wrap things up here. I'm your host, Nicholas J. Hearn. Across from me, my co-host. Thank you so much for being here, Mike. Even Always though that you pleasure. don't love the horror like I do. Always a pleasure. I love talking about it, though, because, again, <laughs> it gives me that, that fundamental understanding of the appreciation of a property I just don't take in often. And I, I love it. I do love that part. Good. So until next time, folks, remember, don't be afraid of the dark. Be afraid of what's in the dark. Congratulations, you've survived this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. We hope you were entertained and informed by our program. Take what you have learned and pass it on to your family and friends. It may just save their lives someday. Have questions? Comments? Suggestions for a future episode? Visit our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side and fill out our short web form. It's the easiest way to interact with the hosts. Beware of monsters, creatures, and all things that go bump in the night. And keep telling yourself, it's only a podcast. It's, it's only, only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's, it's only, only a podcast. podcast. It's only a podcast. It's, it's only a podcast. podcast.